0: The time is now. Volume 5, Episode 108. This is Employment Law Now. I am still Mike Schmidt, your host of this podcast. You all know the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. There are five presidentially appointed members led by Chair Charlotte Burroughs and four commissioners commissioner keith sonderling is one of those commissioners after serving as the vice chair of the eeoc and before that having a senior role with the united states department of labor commissioner sonderling was confirmed by the u.s senate back on september 22nd 2020 for a term that expires in july 2024 commissioner sonderling has been a strong vocal advocate who has made the rounds to get out there and talk to employers employees and everyone who wants to listen uh, about the commission and its causes one of those causes is in the area of artificial intelligence and the use of artificial intelligence for workplace issues what are the benefits of ai what are the risks what is ai in the first place and what is the eeoc's role in all of this well there is no one better to go to to answer some of those questions than commissioner sondeling himself who graciously agreed to come back on this podcast Commissioner Sonderling, it is such a pleasure to uh, have you back on.
1: Uh, Thank you for having me again. I enjoyed our first podcast where I gave a very expansive overview of a lot of things going on in D.C. related to the EEOC, and uh, I'm happy to be back.
0: We don't have a lot of two-parters on this podcast, but uh, back in February of this year, we had a two-parter. You were gracious enough to be on for two episodes, and if that wasn't enough, I get to have you back today, so I'm uh, completely honored to have you with us again. So today we're going to talk, we've been talking so much about vaccines and COVID-19 and everything that's going on generally with the EEOC. And I hope to have you back on another time to talk about all of that stuff again, because it's not going away. Um, But today I wanted to talk about a really important issue that not a lot of people uh, know a lot about. Uh, And that is artificial intelligence and the use of AI in the workplace, what some of the benefits may be, what some of the risks may be, and how you and the EEOC more generally uh, have been starting to address some of those risks and implications. So before we get into some of the details and the technical aspects, what really drove your interest in AI and looking at AI?
1: Well, you know, this area is really starting to take off and what people don't realize is that uh, companies are using artificial intelligence in all aspects of their businesses. Now they're starting to use it related to employment decisions, from the very decision to start hiring all the way in some cases through termination. So the the technology is out there, it's being widely used, and there's a lot of significant benefits to it that we're gonna talk about. But at the same time, there's significant legal risks to using it as well. So for me, as an individual commissioner, I started looking at this uh, earlier this year and became just absolutely fascinated by it in the sense that um, nobody had at the time was really talking about the potential ramifications of it from a federal level related to uh, the employment space. So because this technology is out there being used, and it, it needs to be used, everything related to the pandemic, with the amount of vacant jobs, with the amount of people who are looking to get back into the workforce, or, employee, or is looking to replenish their workforce um, with everything going on in the labor market, employers are turning to these AI-driven technologies to do that. So. We need, and I believe, it's my perspective from the federal government, who is responsible for enforcing uh, these civil rights laws in the workplace, I I took this up because I think it's very important that the federal government come out and talk about potential guidance, talk about potential best practices and awareness of this for, for everyone involved. For the employees who are being subject to this technology, to the employers who are using this technology, and the vendors creating this technology, and there was there is a a gap of information there, and I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, bringing awareness to that, which I've been doing uh, this year. So to answer your question, it's something that's out there. It's something that's being used and it's a topic that needs to be addressed.
0: I I agree, there are those employers who have certainly been starting to use AI in a variety of forms, and then there are just so many out there who might benefit from it but just don't know enough about it so hopefully uh we can break through some of the myths and the unknowns in this episode when people are are thinking about AI a lot of times they think robots and they think robots who are replacing human employees and oh that doesn't sound so great at least for the employees when we're talking about AI, is that what we're talking about?
1: You know, that that's what everyone thinks, that these, uh, when you're talking about employers starting to use AI, that there's this dystopian future of work, <laughs> of robots just doing all the work and there's no humans at work anymore. The well, Jetsons yeah, or something, that, I'm look, myself. That, that may happen. Um, uh, you know, there's a lot of very uh, potentially uh, nerve-wracking statistics about that. The, uh, I think the World Economic Forum has come out and say that potentially, uh, you know, Uh, in the future it's going to be widespread in all companies from manufacturing to accounting and look if that's inevitable it's inevitable also recently to throw more fuel on this fire, the USA Today had an article that uh, robot orders by companies this year's was up almost 40%. Wow. And you know, it's a multi-multi-billion dollar industry related to actual robots doing the work. But that's not why I'm here today. That's not what we're talking about. <laughs> we're
0: not talking robotics No, tonight. we're
1: talking about um, a different kind of AI that's being used um, widely. and. Uh, a lot of people don't realize it, but it's being used. it's been used in the employment decision life cycle for, for many years, and it does everything that uh, a lot of traditional HR functions that HR managers, hiring uh, managers or talent acquisitions was doing, everything from resume screening programs to automated interviews to mobile hiring apps are just being used so widely now because of the amount of applications companies are getting with the amount of uh, moving around in the workforce. So, this didn't happen overnight. AI has been writing job descriptions, screening resumes, it's been chatting with applicants, it's been conducting job interviews, which we'll talk about, whether it's by using facial recognition or natural language processing, and there's some um, AI out there that employers are using to predict whether an employee will accept an offer and how much they should offer that employee, and then there's some even um, further out technology that then predicts what kind of uh, coworker this new employee will be and how they'll relate to their um, current workforce. But there's AI that identifies employees' current skills and potential skills. There's AI that tracks productivity, it assesses workers, and then picks which employees should be in different locations doing different jobs. So uh, it's out there, it's happening, it's being used in so many different aspects of employment, all which relate to the laws the EEOC administers and enforces.
0: And and what's interesting to me about the use of AI is in some respects, AI is I think intended to take a lot of the subjectivity uh, out of some of these processes you've described, yet in the same token, these uh, artificial intelligence tools have to be programmed by human beings at, at some level. So right. so there's this interesting irony that you're trying to use it to take out some of maybe the dangerous subjectivity, but yet, at its core, it's being programmed by subjective humans. Right. At
1: least for now, AI has no intentions of its own. Maybe it will <laughs> in the future Which are to our earlier conversation, but for now, AI is only as reliable as the data that goes into it and, and and the people who are managing and creating these softwares, which which is really what implicates our loss.
0: So let's get into some of the specifics. Let's start with the, uh, the good news and the benefits. What are some of the potential benefits of using AI in the workplace?
1: Well, you know, we talked about some of these programs, but let's actually start talking about them and what they can do and how they can help employers remove bias um, from those processes. So uh, for instance, a resume screening program that eliminates all gender references I mean while, while you're in business and why the EOC is in business, um, the whole job application process there's a lot of uh, bias built into it you know there's numerous studies that show um, male resumes get picked more over female resumes. Um, African American and Asian candidates who whiten their resume are a lot more likely to get picked, um, Than if they didn't do that. So um, we obviously know that there's been significant historical issues, but you know AI can't see that. And if an AI program that is designed to eliminate all those characteristics, you know it can actually make a decision without any of those protected characteristics. For instance, a name. What does a name have to do with anything? All a name tells you is potentially somebody's gender. Their uh, race, their national origin—not right. anything having
0: to do with their ability the, their religion, to do a the job. Theoretically. Nothing, their
1: ability to do a job. So eliminating that, um, a resume program that eliminates that completely, um, you, 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 a male and female start at the same point. And then also, when we we'll talk about interviews that rely on videos or natural language processing, which is just a, a transcription of their voice, you know, that alone, you you, you judge them on the merits. You don't see whether that person is pregnant, that person is disabled. You don't hear the dialect
0: or the accent.
1: Right. You don't see that if you're just looking at a a transcript. And, you know, bias is removed from that part because you can't unsee that somebody um, has a disability. And no matter what, although it's highly, highly... uh, unlawful under our laws to make a decision based on that, you know, that's factored in, in that initial stage, saying, you know, how much is this person gonna cost me? You know, leave will cost me, accommodation will cost me. So, you know, AI can potentially eliminate that at the earliest stages of the process. So, if it is is, um, properly designed and properly implemented, it really can help remove some of that um, bias from the earliest stages because it's looking at actual data and evidence instead of some of those other biases.
0: And what's interesting, and I think it's <clears throat> excuse me, it's an important uh, note to make for those who are sitting out there and saying, well, you know, our HR folks, our recruiters are specifically trained not to have those biases and they know what to ask, what not to ask, what not to look for. This isn't about just, you know, the intentional discrimination or the intentional bias. This is being used, and the benefit of it is to eliminate sort of, sort of the unconscious bias and the, uh, the unintentional biases that go with these recruitment processes. Absolutely, and that's, according to industry experts,
1: this is one of the things that makes AI so attractive to employers. Its reliance on hard data creates the potential to eliminate individual discrimination by removing that human bias from decision making. And when it's designed in a clear and explainable way, it, it gets rid of the Biggest challenges to HR um, management, which is human taste in the whole decision. No matter how much you train them, how much you do, it just completely eliminates that. So um, again, this is where it can be very, very beneficial. However,
0: yeah, that's the, over that's reliance, the next side. Yeah, if
1: not blind trust that the robots are always going to get it right, is the problem that can happen here. And you know, employers just can't. Turn these HR functions over to uh, to the robots, to the AI, because they're only as good as the information that's fed to them. Exactly. So Inaccurate, incomplete, or unrepresented data only amplifies rather than minimizes that bias in decision making. So now let's talk about some of these examples of how it could potentially violate our laws and. Um, not to give a law school lesson here, but essentially, you know, there's two theories under our laws: disparate treatment, disparate impact, and AI can fall under both of those um, analysis. So we talked about the resume screening tools, and, and companies go to these uh, AI programs and say, you know, here's my ideal candidate. Go find me, you know, f- hundred of these. and Here's the, the five best performers. And the AI will then look to see what the characteristics of those performers are, and then try to um, replicate those in in the real world. And and the problem is it's only as good as the data it relies. So the two most classic examples of this um, under the disparate impact theory um, are are one where a a company went to a resume screening um, firm and gave them their current workforce and they said, go find us more, and, and the most likely indicators of success in that specific area was being named Jared and playing high school across. So that's the decision points that computer was making to make those actual decisions because that was the most uh, uh, repetitive part from the data set, and that's a problem.
0: <laughs> yeah, I could see where this is going.
1: And, and then the other uh, very... Uh, Famous and well-known example on the same theory was Amazon. When they tested a resume screening program between 2015 and 2017, they um, gave the data, the the AI, its uh, applicants and job, uh, actual employees from the last 10 years, and they put it in the AI. And the AI ranked all those applicants to see what the, the traits were. And basically, um, if you went to a women's college or played women's sports team, you were Got a lower score, and you know this example—it's a classic example. It's not proof of a misogynistic intent. It's the proof of the, of the data that was put in, into the AI in the first place. So, if the representative set was all men, that's going to find. And although you know we're having computers doing this now, it's no different than you know historic violations of Title VII and our laws when you're having applicant pools, and you're using a, a neutral, potentially neutral characteristic to find you know your best workers, whether it's through um, uh, tests or, or requirements. I mean, this is basic labor and employment law school stuff, and now it's just being used by computers, and it's amplifying that. Because a, a computer, the AI can discriminate on a scale much larger than any HR one HR professional. So in those cases, when the, the data set was all men essentially, you know everyone else who did not fit that data set w- was lowered. so that's a significant problem under our laws and it, that's been around for a long time since the 1960s when uh, when these issues started to arise and the disparate impact and uh, theory came about so it's now just being used by computers on a much larger scale so employers need to to be very vigilant about that.
0: It's not very different than say a company that outsources the recruitment process to a third-party uh, entity, and and that entity is sort of you know, using discriminatory methods or criteria. It's not really different, it's simply because you are outsourcing it either to a, an actual physical entity or an artificial intelligence tool if the criteria, the people who are determining the criteria uh, are using uh, discriminatory um, points, that's going to be a problem either way.
1: Yeah, you're, you're right, and at the end of the day, the employer is liable right. for these decisions. And you know, under our laws, if, even if you don't intend to discriminate, you can be potentially liable and, and go through those very complicated analysis. So it's just making sure that when you're using these, when you're trying to find workers to use these programs where you're making selections, just the, you have to really be very vigilant about the data set that goes into it to make sure that you're having a diversified uh, work, if you want a diversified workforce, and you're basing it off of the status quo, what are you gonna get the status quo? So, there's solutions to this. There's AI solutions to this, to um, the AI being used to make sure that all those protected characteristics, all those indicators, like, for instance, going to historically black college, the women's sports teams, the classic examples, are removed, the name are removed. Um, any, any other factor, anything that indicates a protected characteristic, Actually, looking at the skills on the resume, and, and using that, and having the AI just base it off that. But then, but again, that takes another step of removing all that. So the AI, the AI is only looking at the actual characteristics of the workforce, uh, of what your ideal candidate is, opposed to those protected characteristics that um, tend to creep in there.
0: So the takeaway, at least one of the takeaways at this point is, you know, don't just accept the benefits and hand these decisions over to AI. You still need to be deliberate with how the AI is being set up, what criteria is used Correct. in order to avoid some of these disparate impact and disparate treatment uh, problems.
1: Just like anything else, just like using any kind of testing for uh, employment, you, you can't just allow that to happen without that human intervention, without checking sure to make that the in this case, that the computer is getting it right, but to do that earlier to make sure that the, the data going in, you know, is unbiased, is the first way to start.
0: Is there a time when AI might actually be too incompatible with an employer's legal obligations? Well, there, there's a there's a few
1: different ways that AI is being used that can be very beneficial, but at the same time, you know, our laws are very complicated. So let let's start start with um, voice recognition. And, and facial recognition. So, like I said earlier, there's some programs that rely on an employee's voice to create a transcript or actually listen to the audio recording. Again, that's a good thing, there's a lot of benefits there but because you can't, you don't see uh, the person, you're actually looking to the substance of their answers opposed to how they sound or how they look. It's great, however, if somebody has a foreign accent and the computer can't transcribe their voice, or if somebody has a disability, a speech impediment, or they can't speak uh, fluently in English, you know, the, how is the computer gonna be able to account for that? So if somebody speaks perfect English and has a perfect transcript, and the answers are okay, but then somebody who has a disability um, and, and can't speak perfectly, or, or is delayed, or stutters, then the computer is going to downgrade that, even though their answers may have been better. So you can't just completely rely on that. Although it does eliminate some of the initial bias, you still have to make sure that those disabilities and uh, national af- foreign accents related to national origin are taken account for. And then for uh, video technology, um, some employers are using uh, facial recognition um, related to interviews. And here. These programs report to um, during an interview, look at a candidate's face, and to potentially tell you what kind of salesperson they would be by the no- amount of time they they, they blink or they, f- they further browse. If or, they're or lying or to they're, you, they're lying. Whatever that is, whether or not an employer wants to use that, that is up to them, and whether or not that works, that's way beyond my law degree. <laughs> it's way beyond my job at the EEOC. But whether it has a disparate impact on people is squarely within the EEOC's jurisdiction. Because look, facial expressions are not universal. they be, you know, if you're from one country, you may smile a lot, or if you're another, you may never smile. And if that's a factor in making the decision whether or not to hire you as a, a salesperson, you know, that could potentially be national origin discrimination. And the same analysis with a disability. If you're disabled and you can't properly you know, look at the camera or you can't uh, move your face because of a disability, are you gonna be penalized based on that uh, disability? So that's where it comes uh, squarely within our laws. And then assuming the computer can even see the candidate, um, there's been really significant issues related to this. Um, and a lot of studies done, the most notable studies from the MIT Gender Shades Project when they found if if you're a a light-skinned male, the computer camera can pick you up 99% of the time. But if you're a dark-skinned female, it comes in around 65% of the time. So right off the bat, right there, the male has a 99% chance of having an interview where they could be seen the whole time, and be judged the whole time, and the female starts out at 65% right there. So it's, it's, again, it's not because that the camera is discriminating or doesn't like certain people for certain races or national origins. It's just the way these are designed and it's the function of the data set going into them. Um, so it just if you're using those kind of technologies, you need to be very vigilant to all these issues. The same goes with um, you know another benefit of AI. Uh, companies are using uh, gamified assessments instead of resumes. so they're just saying, don't give us a resume. We're going to hear, take these tests, and a lot of these are based on historic organizational psychology tests and industrial psychology tests, and, and play this game and take a test. And from this, we're going to be able to tell um, you know your appetite for risk or certain jobs um, based upon how you score on these tests or how you play these games. And you know that could be great because it could also eliminate um, potentially people not being truthful on their resume or overstating or even in a lot of cases, understating their skills. There's been so many studies, um, men versus women. Um, Men are more aggressive on resumes than women. So this can really neutralize that as well based upon um, some of these uh, games and and tests. But at the same time, um, they're subject to the disparate impact theories of all that we've been talking about relating to, for instance, disability. If somebody can um, not play the game because of a disability, you know, how how does how were you able to accommodate and create that gamified assessment to meet that person with a disability? So you know, a lot of these issues, although our laws are old from the 1960s and this is 2022, 2030 technology, you know, they, they apply with equal, equal strength.
0: So there have to be some people listening to this right now, um, whether on a treadmill, in their car, in their office, who are thinking, okay, I get that. AI is the new thing, um, but this all sounds so complicated, there's a lot of risks here. It sounds almost like my company might be avoiding some problems, but at the same time creating new problems. I don't understand this, I'm just going to put my head back in the sand and not deal with AI. What, yeah, what's, well, what's your response to that?
1: You can't because it, it's coming, and a lot of companies have already implemented it, and, and, and it's, it is really happening now, but it is also the future. Um, there's a lot of new technologies being developed constantly in this area, and I, I know we've been talking more about the disparate impact and all these how it might affect people. But I do want to give an example to show how potentially this can be very dangerous under the disparate treatment analysis, which is intentional discrimination. You know, to, to get um, your listeners a little more aware to a real life example. Um, so there was a case, it was not an EEO, uh, C lawsuit, it was a public uh, class action case where a group of plaintiffs sued uh, Facebook uh, about under the age discrimination laws. And they said in that case that Facebook um, was allowing employers to limit their ads based upon protected characteristics. And outside of the employment context, as you know, all of our laws apply to applicants as well, Outside of the employment context, you're allowed to advertise to whoever you want. So if you wanna advertise sneakers to, to men between 20 to 25.
0: That's your target. With, yeah. you know,
1: without a college degree, you don't need to do any disparate impact, you don't you don't need to figure out who's excluding, that's beyond our jurisdiction, that's fine. But when it comes to the ability for somebody to have the opportunity to get a job, part of the reason why my agency exists, and and that is when it becomes very, very serious. So in that case, um, it was alleged that employers could essentially do that same kind of advertising where they could literally click a box of the protected characteristics like as gender, age, um, education, which can have significant uh, impacts. Or religion, just all of our protected characters, and then advertise employment opportunities based upon them. And, and, and you know, for that, um, that example, you know, I like to talk about in the sense where you know, here we are in uh, almost 2022. That takes us so far back to you know, pre Title VII, pre EEOC ever existing, which caused you know part of the reasons of many that caused my agency to exist when you're if you're taking away that opportunity they don't even know about the opportunity why don't they know about the opportunity literally on the basis of their protected characteristics so i, I want everyone to also be aware that it's not just oh we're using these ai for, for good in, intentions which I, I going over some examples you can clearly see there are absolutely examples where ai can help eliminate bias and help um, equal the playing field for applicants, um, not just for applicants, but actually for um, transfer job opportunities or uh, upskilling and reskilling opportunities, the whole gamut, where it's actually being based upon data and, and not somebody's uh, um, emotions or, 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 dis- or otherwise. But, but here, it can also intentionally discriminate. And that is something that is not talked about that often, that I want to bring awareness to, that if you have these AI programs in your company, you have to make sure that, just like you have to train HR managers on these decisions, that they're not using these programs to filter out based on protected characteristics. So like these resume screening programs, outside of the Facebook example, where you you can actually go and advertise, How are you ensuring that a hiring manager is not going in and sifting the resumes based on age, based on sex, based on national origin? So um, employers need to be very careful also about intentional discrimination because it's not going to be, the cases aren't always going to be on these more complicated uh, disparate impact analysis where we have to do all these testings. It could be just really, I don't want to say old-fashioned discrimination, but there's that's a good way to put it so everyone understands just that intentional discrimination to exclude certain people and now you have a computer that can help you to do it so that that's something that I think um, employers really need to be very vigilant of that the employees who are using these programs are trained properly
0: so it's not just about hey let's go purchase an AI tool uh, and put it to use you really want to be as an organization first working with uh, the right people, the most appropriate people for that tool, in, in terms of how do you best use that tool, and how do you use it in a way where you're not discriminating against either intentionally or unintentionally uh, the folks who are going to be subject to the tool, but you also want to make sure you're training the people who are actually using it uh, and interpreting the data from it as well.
1: Right. Absolutely. And then um, going back to where you started the question, um, there's another use too that I, I want I like to talk about is where um, when having that human interaction with the AI and making sure not only the people who are, are trained to use this AI that are not using it to make wrong decisions, but how does it comply with some of our uh, the more com- complex areas of our law? When the law requires employers to treat some employees differently than other employees? So everything we've been talking about is that, you know, keeping everything fair and giving everyone the same equal opportunity.
0: And then we have the disability. And
1: then we have disability, and we also have uh, under the accommodations for religion, for pregnancy, and for disability. So how does a computer system, which we just talked about, is so great because it doesn't know who you are and it's just being run on data? How does it then accommodate for things that HR departments know to accommodate for?
0: When the EEOC has told us that we have to do individualized assessments in those areas.
1: Individualized assessments every single time. So in that, starting off with that first scenario I talked about with an applicant who has a disability, not being able to, to use that those programs because of a disability, but it goes further. So you, now you have your employees there and specifically more in Uh, Manufacturing or delivery context where you can really, their performance reviews are based on how many widgets you produce, right? How many deliveries you made. You know, that can be really, I don't want to say outsourced to computers, but you know, since it's based on metrics, you can really have a computer uh, monitor that. So, companies that are implementing this, um, how are they making sure? That they know the difference when an employee is struggling because of a, a disability. They're struggling because they don't have that religious accommodation they need or uh, they're pregnant and need a accommodation. Normally, the, the, that employee, or let's even before the employee, as we know, employers have an obligation under our laws. And to go forward, if you see a, an employer, employee struggling because of a disability, you can, the employer starts that interactive process. Or the employer can see with their own eyes that this person is, is visibly pregnant, that the person is struggling because of a disability, and then have that conversation and make that individualized assessment every single time. But that requires a human being to see that. So when you're relying on an AI or a computer to monitor saying, well, this person is not producing, I'm lowering their performance scores because they were supposed to make 10 of these today, they only made eight, they're only making eight, and now they're gonna be fired because they're not meeting their numbers. Um, The computer doesn't know that maybe because something's wrong with that person and that they need help and the employer has an application to help. So this is an area where I think human intervention is required under our laws. And look, these are very sensitive conversations. So say if um, your only point of contact is a chatbot or logging into a computer system. That's a very sensitive conversation, and a lot of them some protected under uh, medical uh, issues there as well, but how do they have that conversation? They may not feel comfortable having that conversation opposed to knowing you you have a human being you could talk to. So this is an area um, that we're starting to see uh, companies use uh, AI and it's been widely reported in in, uh, the news uh, about you know these companies using AI to make these decisions, but um, in in that context, there has to be some sort of human intervention. It just because of that individualized assessment, and every single employee is different. Well, have to go well, through that.
0: I'm sorry. When we're talking about um, the benefits again, of using uh, AI, uh, particularly for the recruitment process, is there a competitive, advantage as well that companies uh, gain by using AI in terms of recruiting over another company, say, that doesn't use AI for its decision-making tools in the recruitment process?
1: Well, there's some statistics out there. I think the average uh, viewing of a resume at some of these large companies is about seven seconds. So um, look, for large employers who have to hire Tens of thousands of people. You just don't have the capacity. You don't have enough people to possibly review all these resumes. So, from an efficiency standpoint, employers have to use this technology just to sift through the amount of the luminous applicants um, they're getting. So, it, you know, from a, from a competitive standpoint, from any from a business standpoint, again, it, it, the technology is being used. It's out there because they have to use it. And you know, we talk about everything now with the. Great resignation going on. Well, all those people they're going to who are, are resigning from jobs, new opportunities, they're looking for for new jobs. So then there's more talk about the great rehire. So I mean, AI is going to play such a significant role in the great rehire following the great resignation there's going to be no way not to use some of these programs
0: and at least theoretically if not in reality again from a competitive standpoint uh, if, if AI allows your organization to hire a much more diverse workplace and workforce I should say um, with people who are being hired who can do the job and are not being hired for different non-job related reasons that's going to have a, an advantage over other companies who may not be having a uh, or, or recruiting uh, such a diverse workforce. Right. And workforce. there's so
1: many studies out there about diverse workforces and their productivities and how it works. And employers, um, as you know, really want to do that for the right reasons. And this, these tools really can help if properly used, uh, if carefully designed. And implemented the right way, it can really help with those goals because, again, it's removing that potential human bias from that initial stages and looking at their actual skills.
0: So, I want to switch gears a little bit and start talking uh, about the enforcement landscape, the regulatory landscape, and then uh, you know finish up a little bit with uh, where the EEOC is going to be going in terms of employer engagement. Has there been any significant enforcement in this area? Not that, um, not
1: that we've seen publicly. Um, I think, in large part, because the employees who are being subjected to this technology have no idea that it's being used to evaluate them. You know, a lot of times the employee may say, "Look, I didn't get a job. I was an applicant. Maybe I wasn't qualified enough. Maybe I wasn't. Um, the, the hiring manager didn't, you know, like me." I'm, I'm never going to find it out why I wasn't I wasn't selected. So forget it. Opposed to well, you weren't selected because a computer made an unlawful decision and, and lumped you in a, a group based upon your character, a protected characteristic that the EEOC enforces, and completely wiped you out ever for consideration. So going back to that Facebook example, I think it's it's difficult for employees to um, understand that they're being. That the computer made the decision and a human didn't make the decision um, you know also too uh, because it's being used in so many different areas that, that same lack of, of knowledge how it's being used as well as look a lot of this is, is very novel um, because there hasn't been outside that Facebook class action um, that the ACLU was involved in there hasn't been some of these larger uh, class action cases or EEOC litigation that becomes public, you haven't seen that yet.
0: Not yet. And you're, you're emphasizing the yet.
1: Not yet because, you know, I, again, talking about how these laws apply, we're, we're talking about in the hypothetical. There haven't been actual solid uh, examples yet. You know, at some point, I, I think... Obviously, uh, there, there will be, just by the way this is um, being used out there and uh, whether it's a, a normal, I want to say a normal case where a person thinks a person discriminated against them, and Discovery then shows there's actually um, a, a computer system doing that. I think it will all um, be flushed out, but we haven't seen those seminal cases for each technology being uh, used yet, which is why uh, I'm talking to you, which is why I've been out there talking about this. Um, because, look, the EEOC, we are a civil law enforcement agency, but part of our mission is to educate employers and to prevent this from happening. So the more we're out to talk about it, the more we're bringing awareness, not to just the employees being subjected to this technology, but the employers who are using the technology and the vendors creating it, talking about our laws. We can prevent a lot of that from ever happening. So, um, which is why I've been so vocal about it.
0: And the notice issue that you just mentioned is so significant, it's difficult if not impossible to challenge an AI tool if you didn't even know in the first place that the AI tool was being used. Um, Earlier this week uh, in my podcast episode, and for those keeping score at home, it was volume five, episode 107 earlier this week, uh, I talked about the new New York City bill uh, on this uh, issue of automated employment decision tools. And one of the critical aspects of that bill um, to become effective in May of 2022 is to provide certain notifications before the employer actually uses the tool. You've got to inform either the applicant or the employee that the tool is being used to assess the individual. You've got to inform the the person about the qualifications and the characteristics, the criteria that's going to be used. So it's, as you said a moment ago, um, we're starting to see these requirements not just in how you're using the tool, but what notifications you provide to the people who are going to be subject to those tools.
1: Absolutely, and I think that's that's where um, I think you're going to start seeing Uh, whether it's proposed legislations or other cities start to bring that notice requirement at least to allow people to understand that this is being used and in the
0: hiring process and New York City is just one example what is the current regulatory landscape in the United States
1: so there haven't been any there's been um, some proposals about AI in the government uh, in Congress um, that, that haven't really progressed significantly uh, you know, the Biden administration is really starting to talk more about AI from a global perspective, not just in the use of employment, but for everything related to advertising, to housing, to, to, to credit, to the criminal justice system. You know, uh, there's work groups out of the White House, there's reports in the news that um, some people would like an AI uh, bill of rights. But right now, um, from across the country, absent those federal standards you're seeing a, a patchwork of um, rules and guidance and regulation coming out. You just talked about New York City. The state of Illinois really was the first to, to dive into it and uh, their Artificial Intelligence Act that came out uh, banned the use of facial recognition technology um, for employees. The state of California has a proposal relating to government contractors in California who use AI and they require and part of that proposal would be a requirement to do a yearly um, bias audit and to, to test it uh, regularly to make sure that it's not having any kind of discriminatory uh, impact. But really, the uh, EU here has, has taken the lead. Their proposed Artificial Intelligence Act, which would be binding on all 27 member states, directly talks about the issues related to AI being used in labor employment. So their their proposed model has a a risk-based approach um, that talks about how uh, different uses of AI, and some are high risk, some are low risk, some are medium risk. Related to the use of AI in employment, the EU proposal says that it's the highest risk category possible in the same category of using AI for biometric identification, critical infrastructure, and the dispatch of emergency services. So that designation is very significant, although you know it hasn't passed yet, it, but it goes even further. It has requirements not just on the employers using it, which is how our laws are in the United States. It puts requirements on the vendors as well. So a lot of people in Washington, DC and across the country are really studying that EU proposal with great interest because in that proposal it's very extreme. It's saying it's the highest risk. and it's not saying it's Awful to use it. It's just saying, you know, you have to, because it's in the highest risk category, there are additional implementations and measures uh, you need to take. So we're seeing a lot of interest uh, in Washington, D.C., we're seeing a lot of interest in state capitals across the country, especially here in New York, kind of leading the way like the state of Illinois did um, related to its specific use and globally it is a very very uh, big issue. I
0: was just going to ask you that, it's a great segue, this is not just a US issue, but uh, is there some regulatory landscape that exists worldwide as well?
1: Yeah, I mean it's just this right now it's a proposal and, and why I think we're at a unique time here is that for the larger companies who are using and building these AI systems or implementing these AI systems uh, for global employers, they're going to use it here, the same programs here as they're going to use in uh, EU or South America or anywhere else. So it's really uh, at a time when you see we're seeing all these proposals, and there isn't actual um, law related specifically to uh, AI's use. It's it's a unique time in the sense where this is one area where employers really also need to be mindful of everything that's not going on just in state capitals, but also if you're using this uh, overseas as well.
0: Hopefully, the folks who are considering regulation uh, and rules on this issue... Uh, are not those who are similarly uh, unaware of the benefits and the technologies. I mean, that's that's part of the danger, that people who are making decisions on the regulation, that they're uh, knowing enough about uh, AI in order to make these decisions. And,
1: and again, it's being used in all aspects of business, and, and really, it's everywhere. But, you know, staying in our lane here, it's important for the EEOC and other agencies, whether it's the FTC, and the FTC did put out some initial guidance earlier this year related to some of the advertising practices, that we identify how it applies to our laws. And and I believe, as you know, that all of the decisions employers are using to make AI can be done under the same analysis and the same laws apply as if a human HR professional was doing it because the law applies with equal weight to regardless of the technology. It doesn't matter who do, who's doing it. we will look, look at the outcomes. And the EOC is going to look at the outcomes and was there discriminatory intent? or was there a discriminatory impact? because liability can be the same either way. so it, for from my perspective, what the EOC needs to do and what um, I've been vocal about, is applying, our laws from the 1960s which are as strong and relevant as ever to this new technology. I think we have all the tools we need to be able to provide employers how to use this, employees uh, who are subject to this technology, what their rights are, And, and, and also on the enforcement side, look, you know, we're a civil law enforcement agency related to these laws. We know how to enforce these laws. It's just, we're applying it to a different way that, that the actual employment decision making are occurring.
0: And I talk about that all the time. It's fascinating, you know, when social media became all the rage, uh, we were talking about how we weren't creating new discrimination and harassment rules for social media, we were applying traditional theories and traditional EEOC law to this new platform to statements and to conduct on social media. It's very similar to that. We're applying still, again, the traditional, as you said, uh, discrimination, harassment, retaliation rules to this new platform, which is AI.
1: Absolutely, but we all need to be vocal about um, how that applies, just like you did back then, and just whatever new technology is going to come out in the employment context, it's going to be the same
0: thing. So what can we expect to, to see from the EEOC in terms of further initiative, further guidance on these uh, real important issues?
1: Well, at the end of October, the EEOC announced a, a formal initiative related to um, AI and technology um, it's going to closely examine how technology is changing the way employment decisions are made, uh, and the goals are to guide applicants, employees, employers, and technology vendors ensuring that these technologies are used consistent with our law. So it's part of the initiative, the EEOC plans to establish an internal work group to coordinate the agency's uh, functions on this, have a, a potentially listening sessions with stakeholders and to, continue to gather information about the design and how it's impacting and then hopefully identify promising practices um, for everyone to be able to understand this so it's a, a lot of action it's an exciting time
0: and so you know as we uh, start to wrap up and I can't tell you again how much I appreciate you taking uh, all this time for us what are some of the more important takeaways that you think uh, employers should be thinking about uh, if they're going to be using or thinking about using AI?
1: Yeah, and, and again, to where we started, uh, AI is relying on data. So if you have inaccurate, incomplete, or unrepresented unre- un- unre- data, what's going to happen? It's going to amplify rather than minimize that bias in decision making. So, Mike, my, my, key takeaway for employers who are using this technology is that you have to be vigilant against two things, discriminatory uses and discriminatory outcomes, and I think we gave enough examples uh, today about both of those, but look, it can happen. You can use these programs to intentionally discriminate, or you can use these programs truly for a neutral reason, and you can have that impact. But We're going to look at what those results are. And that Amazon example I gave you earlier, I wasn't picking on Amazon. It's actually a good example how a vigilant employee didn't simply trust the algorithm to get it right. There they tested the program, they evaluated its performance, and before they ever used it to make an employment decision, they saw that it was downgrading women and they look to the reason of why that occurred. So I think that's a very good example of an employer testing the technology, and that's what really employers need to do. Before you actually ever use this to make an employment decision on someone's livelihood, you need to make sure uh, that the potential intentional or or non-intentional discrimination occurs based upon what's going into it. So also, employers who are looking to buy these tools need to be pressing vendors on what kind of bias audits they do and what kind of statistical analysis they're going to do and how they're going to help the employer make sure that when they're using these programs that they have the proper data sets and that there are no bias and what kind of testing and you know, that can get into a whole different uh, kind of podcast about the statistical analysis to make sure you don't have that. Uh, disparate impact before it's ever being used to make an actual decision.
0: So I mean the biggest takeaway of all is there are tremendous benefits to using AI for employment-related decisions Uh, and in fact I think you would probably say that we're getting to the point soon that you know most if not all employers will in some capacity be using AI, uh, that's not the question anymore. It's about working with the right people, working with the right tools, and making sure that the data uh, relied upon by these tools uh, is the appropriate data.
1: That's right. And then, although a lot of these HR functions and these talent acquisition functions um, can function by the uh, AI, there has to be that human intervention in it. Um, for a whole host of reasons we, we discussed so uh, for the time being the, uh, the robots aren't uh, <laughs> completely taking over the HR department but in a, in a way uh, it can really help employers make large scale decisions on who to hire, who to promote, who to transfer based on hard data and evidence and I think that's really a really great thing and it can get there, but we need to make sure that it's being designed properly and we have a unique opportunity to do that now by raising awareness.
0: So it's not computers in lieu of humans, it's computers with humans.
1: For now. I
0: can't I can't predict <laughs> okay. I can't predict okay. some of those
1: sci fi movies that that we've all seen. Um, so uh, I don't know what technology is being uh, developed to replace uh, lawyers uh, like uh, us one day, uh, or or uh, who knows? Yeah. But for the time being, uh, it, this the technology has a lot of significant benefits. But like everything else, you know, there are potential risks in there, um, and our laws apply.
0: So, uh, Commissioner, last question I have for you. Uh, You do such a great job getting out there uh, to the general public, into the communities to educate both, uh, frankly, employers and employees on uh, EEOC initiatives and things that are of a particular interest to you. How can people engage? How can our listeners engage with the EEOC?
1: And I think this is probably the most important part because for employers out there, we don't know what... Technologies being sold to you we don't know what you're considering and most importantly we don't know what which of these technologies you would actually want to use but you may have some questions about and you say well you know if the EEOC had addressed this technology I would feel more comfortable using it so we really need to hear um, from you we need to, to know um, what you're you you're using what you want to use and how um, we can better help provide guidance to make sure that you have the tools you need to actually properly use these. So um, everyone's free to always reach out to me on Twitter or LinkedIn. Um, I'm around, but we want to hear from you. And as uh, the potentially more formal initiative comes forward, if there is um, public uh, engagement or, or listening sessions or hearing, Um, I'm sure you'll hear about it on this podcast.
0: Uh, Absolutely. And that's a great way to end. I appreciate it. Uh, Commissioner Keith Sonderling, thank you so much as always. We are honored to have you on here. And I hope uh, this hasn't done anything to detract you from coming back another time. That's right. We still have a lot to discuss. I look forward to it. Thanks so much again. Have a great uh, holiday and new year. Thank you, everyone. Some more fascinating insight as usual. I am so honored that the commissioner uh, continues to come onto this podcast to talk to all of you and provide such tremendous perspective. Well, whether it's more employment law trends and developments generally, whether it's getting back to all things COVID-19 and vaccine mandates, you know you will continue to hear from me and I hope that you will continue to listen. I can't tell you how much your feedback means to me. I appreciate all the comments and questions that I get from uh, all of the folks who listen to this podcast. Thank you so much. I hope you all continue to be safe uh, and healthy. And until the next time, I also hope all of your labor is productive.